0: it's early you got it was early when you got up and you was like man we got to wait two more hours to be able to go to church today and so and i hope you are ready to receive god's word cuz i am excited to share it i'm telling you i have had the best two days just of contemplating and meditating upon the word i didn't know from wednesday to friday where i was going to go and it just seemed like the lord would, in his grace just directed my thoughts and attention to a particular passage of scripture that he, I, In my personal studies, expounded, he expounded, and I was able to meditate on it and find application. And man, I am so excited to be able to share this text with, of Scripture with you. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 5. You can remain seated for a little while. We'll stand at one verse of Scripture when we transfer, transition over to Matthew. Mark, chapter number 5. Perhaps this has come about a little bit because of our study that we've been on Wednesday nights. And, uh, but nonetheless, I believe it is relevant to your life. I think it's something that you and I need to embrace, and we need to see uh, what it means to us today and how to. Uh, it is a part of spiritual warfare. We're going to understand that context a little bit greater clarity here today. So let's just read. Let's let this story unfold. It's a familiar passage to us here in the Scriptures But we're going to go ahead and read it like it's being read for the very first time. Verse 1 says, And they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, And the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, reverenced him, fell before him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus thou son of the most high god i adjure thee by god that thou torment me not we may ask how did he know that it was jesus there was a lot of people that showed up on the shore seeking access or passageway through to gadara but he knew that's no ordinary man is that right So now let's go farther with this. So he requests, he said, that I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man. Jesus, so really what we're seeing now is Jesus had previously said to him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Jesus, under the power of the Holy Spirit, has discerned that this man has has an unclean devil in him, unclean spirit, and he's already began to rebuke this devil. And so now there's some conversation that takes place, and he asks him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is a legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there, nigh unto the mountains, a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And there were about 2,000, it says, 2,000 were in this herd of swine. And they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, and you would too, and told it in the city and in the country. So he just began to, they just began to spread, what, look what's happened. And they went out to see. So then the folks in the country and in the city go out kind of in a mob mentality to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus, and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. They were obviously familiar with this man, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. One gospel writer, Luke, says there was great fear. And they saw that it was told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he had come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home and to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. Notice this, and all men did marvel upon hearing the testimony of the delivered demoniac, all men are now marveling. We're going to go to one verse of Scripture from the same narrative but recorded from Matthew. I want to ask you to stand because we do that in honor of the Word of God, and we're going to pray together and we'll ask the Lord to help us. But we're only going to to read one verse of Scripture. Matthew does not give us as much detail as both Mark and Luke do to this famous uh, event or incident in the life of Christ. And it's just one verse of Scripture that I want to catch your attention to and actually, we'll just read this as the 32nd verse. And he said unto them, Go. Now, what is it, Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the spirits now, the devils that have besought this. So this is Matthew chapter 8, verse number 32. So the, the devils that have asked Jesus to go to be to, to for him to not send them away into the abyss is what they say they're requesting, but rather to allow them to enter into the swine. Mark said, and he gave them leave. Verse 32, Matthew records, and he said unto them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. The whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. So remember that word, go. I told you on the phone tree yesterday, I was going to preach a message entitled today, Go Hogs Go. And I was not talking about the Razorback football team. Go, hogs, go. That's what we're going to talk about today. So I, I, I want you to pray, and I mean that. I want, you to, I want you to ask God to help you understand, and I want to ask you to ask the Lord to help me speak with clarity the things that he's spoken to me privately, that I could speak with uh, a clarity about the things that he's done in my heart privately, I could share it with you publicly. So let's pray. Father, with a humble heart, I submit myself to you. I am honored to see so many people out today, Father that have come anxious to worship, anxious, Father God, to, to lift up holy hands in the sanctuary. And Father, I've come anxious to share the Word of God. Father, my heart is full today. Father, my mind is renewed by the word of the Lord. But I need, beyond a heart and a mind that's prepared, I need the tongue of the learned, Father. I need the ability to, be, to to articulate what you have put in my heart and mind. And it can't come from my limited, Father God, natural linguistic ability. It has to come through the supernatural unction of the Holy Spirit whereby an angel of God must touch my tongue or my lips with a coal of fire, so that what the words that I speak today will have passion and have power and have anointing God, and it will sear the consciousness of those that listen today. It won't just be, Father God, words of Father God that just float in the air, but words that penetrate to the heart. God will minister to each one of us, Lord. So today, God, we're going to declare, Go Hogs, Go! In this house today, in Jesus' name, and all God's children, say it. Come on, somebody. Amen. Mm. I'm going to have to be like a thoroughbred today, and that is I'm going to have to pull back on the reins just a little bit. Let me take you for a little bit of time into some of our learning as our personal discipleship and collectively and corporately as we begin to unlock this passage here in Mark's Gospel. Was several years ago, and I've told you this multiple times, but I want to go ahead and remind you of it. Several years ago, we did a study on Wednesday night. And I found a book that was produced by Dr. Mark Turnage. Mark Turnage was the director of Holy Land Studies in Jerusalem of the Assemblies of God. And in this particular book, he said that when you're reading the Scriptures, that there are four lens that you need to put on. So he used the term like we would have I use reading glasses here today so that I can see better with what's right in front of me, but it means I can't see as well to what's way out there. So if you throw a brick at me, I might not be able to see it with clarity. I may think you're throwing me a marshmallow or something until it gets close. But at the same time, Dr. Turnage said these lens, he said you have to use these lens as you're looking at the Word of God. He said you need to look at, you need to look historical and you need to look geographical and you need to look spatial. And you need to look spiritual. Those four lens were highlighted to each one of us. Spatial was being defined by him as the flora and the fauna related to the area, the geography of the land of Israel. If You remember it says in Deuteronomy chapter number 11, God said, my eyes are always upon that land. So there's something about it. God took a snapshot of it and captured it by the writers of the holy text that allow us to even look at simple things and gain deep-seated spiritual revelation. Some of you know that even the writer of proverbs solomon said look at the little ant that crawls on the ground it says it doesn't have an overseer or a ruler but it gathers its food it doesn't wait for anybody to bring it to him he rolls his sleeves up and goes out and get a job come on prepares for summer prepares for winter excuse me so he, he, he tells us numerous numerous things looking at again just the small things well then he says the geography the unique geography of the land of israel often Tell And with that, we can also expound culturally. We look culturally within that context because you can, and I shared this many years ago, and i go ahead and say it again today. You can turn the page from Malachi, the fourth chapter, the last book of the Old Testament, and turn to Matthew chapter number one, and you will do it in less than one second. And it will be one page of scripture. But when you turn that page, you are turning over 400 years of human history human history so there's a lot of movement that takes place in that 400 years of time so there's also a difference a time you have to study the intertestament period between the old and the new covenant it's very important it sets the context that's important for us today because i'm telling you there is a deep-seated spiritual truth that's contained in mark's gospel chapter number five it's relevant for you today, just as it was when Jesus, with this incident was taking place. But you won't understand it in its fullest detail if we don't put the lens on, if we're not willing to look. I want to talk to you first about what happened here in Mark chapter number 4. Now, let me explain the context for just a moment. The majority of Jesus' ministry is in Galilee. Galilee is in the northern region of Israel. And in that northern region, the most significant um, uh, geographical thing, for lack of better words, is the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee. They call it the Lake of Genesaria. And most of Jesus's ministry happened in a general vicinity of the Sea of Galilee. We find his first miracle at Capernaum. We find uh, Nazareth, which was just outside a little ways. We find the first miracle where he turned water into wine. All of that takes place in Galilee, Bethsaida, different places of miracles, Name. All these things, they're happening in, again, the vicinity of Galilee. And in that particular time frame, for Jesus, in order to travel, oftentimes the Sea of Galilee was the way and the means that he would move from one location to the other. It was easier for him. It was easier for him if he was going to go from one city to another. It was easier to get into a ship to allow the wind to blow him and his disciples across the Sea of Galilee so that they could get to another location than it would be to go by foot. Now, I remember talking to a couple of old-timers years ago about before the Grizz Ferry Lake came in. And this was a man that lived in Eglantine, just on the north side of the, the lake, just outside of Edgemont. He said they used to come to Heber Springs as a family and watch what, the, what they called the, the motion picture show at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. that They would leave Eglantine and walk along the river, take about two hours, watch the show, and be back before dark. But today, if you're going to make that journey by foot, it will take you about two days to get to eglantine cuz you're going to have to go all the way around so i'm trying i want you to see this picture so with jesus jesus has just taught one of the most famous of all of his parables and he's taught it from a boat he's pushed out into the sea of galilee and he's taught the parable of the soils the sower goeth forth he sows the word of god it's a, par- a powerful passage of scripture the evening begins to come they go out into the sea of galilee to cross over they're going to go to the other side well this is the night when the violent storm comes on the water, and Jesus steals the storm, speaks to it. So can you imagine? That's the first moment when the disciples really see the magnitude of the power and the anointing of God that's in this man, Christ Jesus, because they are amazed that he stands at the brow of the ship and he speaks with great authority to even the winds and the waves. And the winds and the waves obey him the same way that you and I tell one of our young children to go in the room and make their bed. Jesus calms the storm, just speaks to it. Peace be still. And the boisterous wind calms and the storm subsides. And they're, So they're amazed at, at the power of God. And they arrive at the other side here the land of Gadara. And we'll talk about this. Matthew records that it's the land of Gergenes, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It was over against Galilee. Mark here says the Gadarenes, the country of the Gadarenes, which what that means is it's in the vicinity of a city called Gadara, which I'll talk more about it in just a moment. And so Jesus, as he arrives, immediately as he leaves the shore, it seems that there he has met. Matthew records that there are two. This is for clarity so that you can get the bigger picture, but Mark and Luke only record one that we call a demoniac and if you're just trying to gain balance to that why does Matthew record two and the other only record one it's most likely because one was more fierce was greater in 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 the capacity that he was demonized with the legion of devils sometimes somebody might come over to your house and there might be more than one but when you're relating the story you just mentioned the one that talked the most Are y'all out there today? So you understand. I'm wanting you to understand how these things all fold together. He's met by the demoniac who begins to cry out. And we read it in the text. And he's asking Jesus not to cast him out. He recognizes him as Yeshua in the Hebrew, the son of the living God. He said, I know who you are. Now, those men in the ship, they may not know who you are. The people of Gadara, they may not know who you are. But these devils are saying, I've seen you. I've seen you. I was there. I was there, and I know who you are, and I know the authoritative word that's been spoken over us, and he said, and I know that there's going to come a day, these demons are saying, we know that there's going to come a day when we're going to be tormented in an eternal lake of fire, but we don't want to go there now, and so we're just asking, when he began to drive them out to bring deliverance to this man, they, they began to ask him, can we at least just enter into the swine that were on the adjacent hillside, and Jesus gives them right, and they go into the swine, go hogs, go, and they're driven violently down into the sea and there they are choked it's a powerful passage of scripture when they're choked in the script when they're choked in the water it's almost akin to pharaoh's army don't forget that that's important we're going to catch that here in just a moment and now this man is miraculously delivered how many of you believe in the power of the gospel today That deranged men and women broken under the power of demonic possession or oppression, if they can just come into contact with a living Savior in the power of unction and the anointing of God that's in Christ Jesus, then you can be miraculously healed, saved, and delivered to God be the glory. And you can be sitting in your right mind talking to folks, normal, you were violent, you were cutting yourself, you lived in darkness, you, you you beat your head on the wall because to try to rid yourself of those demons and those thoughts and those voices, but now you're able to contemplate and talk and interact and be a normal person because of what Christ has done in your life. Amen? It's powerful. Now, when the people of the land arrive, after hearing what's taken place and observing the man's deliverance, they ask for Jesus to lead. Have you thought of that? That's kind of odd. You would think in that moment of time they would have been so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with the power of this deliverance that they would want Jesus to, to, to do more of the same amongst them. But rather, they are so afraid. Again, I believe one of the gospel writers says that is with great fear that they literally ask Jesus, Jesus, get back in your boat and go back where you came from. I'm going to answer that for you in just a few moments. So it's a powerful thing. So now this brother, he wants to go with Jesus. And so Jesus said, no, you can't come with us. He said, but there is something you can do. Here's an opportunity. He said, I want you to go back. Jesus said this, I want you to go back to your family and friends, and I want you to tell them what good things the Lord has done for you. I want you to tell them what God has done in your heart and life. And the Bible says he went and began to publish in Decapolis. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. All the great things, notice this, that Jesus had done. Luke says that God, he said that Jesus said, go tell him the things that God, Theos, has done for us. And Mark says it's the Lord, and that is the Lord as in and master. It's used of Lord God and of the Lord Jesus Christ many, many times throughout Scripture. But when the man goes and begins to tell his family, he tells them about Yeshua. Tells them about Jesus and what good things that he has done for them. So there's some things that you and I, so that's the text. We've read it, and I briefly expounded it, but we got to look into it with a different lens. we got to look into it with a lens that will bring us greater clarity, because at the end of the day, I want you to have a spiritual truth. I want you to have more than just a historical background or a geographical setting. I want you to have a deep-seated spiritual revelation in your heart and mind that becomes rhema in your spirit, because there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to need to say, go hogs, go. You're going to, and when you do, you're not cheering on your favorite uh, sports team, right? But you're addressing some things in your life, and you need to see how it can play out for you if you believe i got to share with you some things that I gained in my study, some of the things that I had never contemplated before. I mean, I was like a child in a candy store Friday and Saturday just reading these passages of Scripture because the Lord was opening my own personal understanding. The land of the Gadarenes was on the east side of Galilee. And so it was, again, one of the major cities there was Gadara. Now you have to read this in the right type of context for just a moment because, again, there was another city, or Garessa, I can't pronounce them accurately, but again, Matthew uses Gerasenes, Gerasenes, and then Mark says the Gadarenes as well as Luke. And the reason why it's not that they are differing, it's it's simply that, for example, let me give you an example of this. You may be telling somebody, I was from Wilburn. Sherry and I graduated from Wilburn. But if I was down at the Air Force and somebody said, where are you from? I would say Heber Springs. Because most folks, when they look on the map, they couldn't find Wilburn. Right? But they might know, well, I've been on the lake so they would say yeah so i would just say i'm from heber because in that moment i'm talking about the general vicinity not just the exact specific locality that's why it says the country of the Gadarenes. it's more a region than it is just uh, just a suburb right outside the city, but the city Gadara was a part of the Decapolis. Remember, Mark says that he began to publish in the Decapolis. That's very important for us to see this because it's going to un- begin to unlock for us what we're dealing with here in this moment of time. So, the Decapolis actually were 10 cities, they would become Gentile cities. And they were on the, nine of them were on the east side of the Jordan River, what's called Transjordan. The word trans means across, across Jordan. The majority of Israel was on the west side. The majority of these Decapolis cities were on the east side. There was only one that was on the west side. And I want you to remember that. And you say, now what were these cities of Decapolis? They were actually originally Greek cities that were established during Alexander the Great's conquest. Alexander the Great, when he conquered nations, did not just want to come in and bring the nation under tribute and allow those nations to just live and function as they always have but pay Grecian tribute. What he would do is he would establish what we know as soldier cities. He would put small garrisons of his soldiers in a city or start a new township, and while they lived and when those communities grew, they would introduce Grecian culture. They call that the Hellenization. So they would establish Grecian culture. By this time, Greek is, or Greece is no longer the, 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 the ruling power, but Rome is. So now we call it Greco-Roman, the Greco-Roman Empire or civilization. So it's kind of a folding of two together, but it is still Gentile cities. is very important because you have to see this. Jesus is sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but I want you to know he died for all mankind right and he came to deliver whomsoever he would john chapter number one says he came unto his own and his own received him not but as many as who would receive him to them he would give the power to become the sons of god and so jesus is now going to again these grecian cities and these cities. listen to this they are fully romanized with greco-roman culture and it includes the theater Actually, as they have excavated uh, Gadara, they have found a theater, and they have found bathhouses. They found wrestling arenas because wrestling was huge in that culture. There are shops and businesses. There's also prostitution houses and temples, and they often had even a Jewish synagogue, a small Jewish presence as well. And So just so picture that for a moment of time. That's what Gadara was. Most likely the individual that is delivered the demoniac is Greek, and so are the people around him. Now the swine, we've got to catch the swine for just a moment of time. The swine, when you see what takes place with the swine being driven in the sea, there is a bigger picture that I'm going to open up for you here in just a moment of time. And it's going to make, you'll never read this passage again the same way as you, uh, the information that's going to be supplied to you about the next three to eight minutes real quick. So you just capture this. The swine are not just for consumption by the Roman people. See, the swine or pork is the meat of choice, absolutely, for the Romans. If you go back and look up in history, it is the meat of choice for the Romans. But swine are often used in sacrifice to Roman deities. And so it contrasts the sacrificial system of Israel. Israel sacrificed what? Sheep, goats, and bullocks. And that if you participated in the sacrifice to Yahweh God, oftentimes a portion of your sacrifice could be consumed well the greeks practice the same type in their worship to their pagan deities now being asked that this is roman culture then most likely they worship mercurius or they worship zeus or hercules and some of these that you know more about grecian mythology than i do but these were the pagan deities that were being worshiped and they would often sacrifice using one of their most favorite animals was a swine to sacrifice to their gods Oftentimes that's what drove conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles was that often the Greeks would desecrate holy sites within Israel by the presence of the swine. Let me give you two an example real quickly to help you understand the magnitude of this moment because it's mentioned the gospel writers are very clear in pointing this out to us today. I want you to see that oftentimes, again, there's a conflict between Jews and Gentiles over the desecration of holy sites by the Gentiles' usage of swine. If you've ever gone back and read the Inter Testament period between, again, the book of Malachi and Matthew, you'll find that one of the climatic moments in that particular era of history was when Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was the Seleucid commander, and that was a Grecian commander. The Grecian commander that had come down and fought all the way through the land of Israel, all the way down into Egypt. And so Israel at the time was was trying to restrain and not be fully Hellenized, and there was a conflict, and word gets back. So for whatever reason, Jason, the high priest, sends out word that Antiochus has died in battle, and they're celebrating in Israel. And and so Antiochus has come all the way from that northern region of Syria, which is north of Galilee, come all the way through the land that's fighting in Egypt, but when he finds out that the Jews are celebrating his supposed death, He is outraged. He is outraged and he goes violently to Jerusalem and destroys the city or or, or desecrates the city. 80,000 are either killed or sold into slavery. 40,000 are slain. 40,000 are sold into slavery. And to desecrate the temple, Antiochus erects an image to Zeus in the temple courtyard area and on the brazen holy altar that had been uh, dedicated to God and worship of Yahweh where only a lamb or a bullock or a goat on the day of atonement or the daily sacrifices to be offered he offers a swine a sow and in doing so it so outrages all of the land of Israel that it leads to the Maccabean revolt that we read about in history and so it's a powerful image but you can see that for a moment of time used to worship the pagan deities in contrast to the lambs and the sheep are y'all out there today are you catching this this is a bigger picture and you've got to see this and you say well that was even replicated many years later later when the city of jerusalem was destroyed in 70 a.d and this time it's by the roman general titus and the history tells us that titus once again too desecrates the holy place by raising up an ensign to zeus in the temple and killing a pig inside the temple precincts and when you go back and study it that oftentimes some of you know the romans often fought under a standard or a banner many times you have the image of the eagle but there was more than that there was a swine there was a boar one of the legions that fought against israel in 70 a.d in the desecration and the destruction of the temple was a boar now why are you saying all that pastor but i'm telling you that when jesus arrived there at that moment it was more this was a bigger picture i want you to see a bigger picture This is just not some moment where he's hurting the local economy just a little bit and the local cuisine. I'm telling you what this was. It's when Jesus was standing there and when he gave those demons the right to leave the demoniac and go into the swine, Jesus was doing something there that's more than what you will catch on just a casual observation what he is doing is more than affecting their local economy and diet he is sending a message to all the land of the gadarenes that the worship of yahweh is far greater and more superior than the worship of all the roman deities He's sending a word out right there and saying you're using swine and you're worshiping Zeus and you're worshiping Mercury. you're worshiping idols made of stone. But I come almost like David and Goliath long years earlier when little David said, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. That in essence is what Jesus was putting. To, he was putting the standard of faith down in the land of the Gatherings, and he was saying it doesn't belong to you any longer. I come to announce freedom to the captive. Deliverance to those who are bound. I come to set the captive free. Glory to God. That's a picture that we're seeing there. Judaism with this distorted teaching had done nothing to bring this man deliverance. Worship of pagan gods that left him deranged, destitute, living in ruins and tombs. He was cut off from his family. He was cutting himself with stones. He was naked and violent. But one word out of the master's mouth set him free, healed him in Jesus' name, made his whole life have purpose all again in Jesus' name. My God, thank God for Jesus today. The man Christ Jesus who was the express image of Yahweh God? By the power of the Spirit of God, delivered him and healed him and set him free. Man, that's a bigger image, isn't it? That's a bigger picture. And so, when he was sitting in those swamps, I'm going to share with you. Even I'm going a little bit further. The bigger picture also. I've noticed this. I want you to expand. How many of you know? Every now and then, you got to look back and you got to take a step back. You say, "I got I want to see the big picture, so I need the geography. I need the history. I need the spatial, the floor, and the fauna because there's a spiritual truth that I need. Because let me tell you, there's some sows in your life as well. There's some hogs and some swine and some pigs in your life as well. And you need the anointing of God. You need the anointing of God. I'm going to get you agitated enough that you say, Pastor, I want the anointing of God on my life. I'm telling you, you got to have the anointing. Jesus said, if I cast out devils, I don't just do it by, by, by magic. I don't just do it by something I learned in school. He said, I do it because the Spirit of God upon my life. You're going to hang out with us, Pentecostal folk. Let me tell you what we believe in. We believe in the supernatural power of the Spirit of God to rest upon us. Yes, yes, us, uneducated hillbillies, just like the one in front of you today, can have a supernatural anointing of God on your life. And I can speak to the hog. I can speak to the sow. I can speak to the Spirit. And I can say, go, devils, go. Go, hogs, go. And they can heed my voice because the anointing of God's on my life. And it can be on your life as well. But you've got to want it you got to long for it. you got to say, God, this is real. This is not just a fable. Come on, this is to teach you and I so that we can have victory in our spiritual warfare. Right? Because I'm going to tell you, it hadn't ended. Right? Those devils are still running to and fro. The bigger picture is this. Let me give you a little bit more of the bigger picture. Y'all out there. That's what happens on daylight savings time. And you get fired up, ready to preach. Also, of have noticed in this region, notice this. Notice this, catch this. This is huge. Shatta Kaya Glory to God. This is huge. Listen to this, listen. On the east side of Galilee, that's the capitalist, correct? Originally, that was known as Israel as the land given by Joshua to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, especially the half tribe of Manasseh. Listen to this, you gotta catch this. Previously. That was the land that had been the land of Og, king of Bashan. Now, where are you going with this, Pastor Brown? Let me oh, Stay with me. So, now, remember who Og was? The Bible says that he was a descendant of the giants. He himself was a giant, as was Sihon, the Scripture says. So, you've got to put this together. This is a big picture right here. Who were the, the giants? Well, the giants were the descendants of what they call the Nephilim. We've talked about that, remember? Genesis chapter number 6 that says the angels that left their first habitation is what Peter said looking back at the text that they cohabitated amongst uh, men and women and went into women uh, and produced offspring those offspring were the Nephilim correct and many believe many believe that they were destroyed in the flood but some lineage either survived or that the same type of rebellion took place after the flood as well as before the flood So here's what many believe. They believe that the demon spirits, the disembodied spirits, are the actual spirits of the Nephilim that have now no bodies to possess. So that very region that you see when Jesus purposely gets uh, in the ship, I want you to picture Galilee, and he goes from the west side to the east side. He's going to a Gentile city, to a Greek city, but he's going back in time to the land of Ob. He's going back to a land that was possessed by the the fallen sons of God, the Nephilim, and where the demon spirits have a stronghold. And in that moment of time, this conflict that you see in Mark chapter number 5, it is a moment of spiritual encounter which once again is the battle of Yahweh God and the true followers of Yahweh, the one true God, and pagan idolatry. Pagan idolatry, including those who followed the ancient practices. But I love this. I told you this once before, I'm gonna say it again. Unlike Joshua, who destroyed the people, Jesus came to deliver the people. Come on now, catch that with me. Joshua, they they fought and they destroyed all that were in the land of Og of Bashan. But I want you to know Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but he came to save them and to be a ransom for many. And I want you to know today there's no God like Jehovah. Can I say that today? Because that cosmic battle is still going on right now. That cosmic battle for the souls of men is still going on. And I want you to know there's no God like Jehovah. And God is no longer hid in a temple in Jerusalem. But He came in the person of Christ. And He came to set captives free. Christ has gone back to heaven. But He's left you and I here as His ambassador. So that we can share the same glory and power and deliverance that Christ himself shared with all mankind. There's no God like Jehovah. Fallen angels, offspring. It was a battle of cosmic proportions that was being played out on that day. And once delivered, that man is sent as an ambassador. He's sent as an ambassador. This man previously most likely worshipped idols. And now he worships God. Now, I want to share this before I close. I got a few things to share. So y'all open. This is where we're going to make this personal to you. I'm going to come to help you today. Are y'all out there today? Listen, we must conclude. Remember what Jesus said. So this brother's excited, and you would be too, wouldn't you? Man, if all you knew was the cutting of your own flesh, the sound of devils inside of you. Not being able to stay close, people putting chains on you. Supernatural strength—you're breaking them. You don't know your family. You may have children. You may have uh, grandchildren. You haven't seen your parents. I don't know who. We don't doesn't give us his genealogy. He, just he could He didn't know nothing about his family because the devils had so destroyed his life. But now he's he's free. He gets to go back. Remember this. I I, I began to think about this. I, I I thought about this and I said, you know, it's very possible that he gave place. To demon possession through idol worship. I mean, know, that's the greatest way and means that someone can give place to a devil in their life is through idolatry. Right? Because that's, it can be occultic. It can be when you're worshiping false deities. I mean, the devils are looking for a place to abide. Are y'all out there today? They're looking. Remember what Jesus said about unclean spirits? He said, when the unclean spirit's gone out of a man, it searches through dry places looking for a place of rest they're looking for a place you know what they'll knock on your doors as well right if they can find an abode they may not possess but they will oppress if you'll allow them to I've heard it for many years in the Christian community and I have did my very best to contrast it. I hear people all the time saying the devil's got me down listen I'm telling you you need to have the devil down you say the devil's got me on the run no you need to have the devil on the run Right, because of the anointing of God in your life, you can have joy unspeakable, full of glory. You can get up every day with the joy of God in your life and the anointing of God on your uh, of the Holy Spirit on your heart and life, and you don't have to be subjected to oppression or possession. You can be free, and you can live a light where the light shines, and darkness will not overtake it. Darkness cannot overtake it. What He's done in your heart and life. So I've concluded as I was thinking about this. You know, this brother was wanting to go with Jesus, and you would too. But Jesus said, brother, you can't go with me. I want you to go back to your family. But I want to say this real quickly, and I'll have to kind of speed this up for a moment. I'm going to conclude, Jace, that Jesus would have given him some basic discipleship. He would have said, now listen, brother, you can't go back to worshiping these false deities. It doesn't say it. I'm just presuming this, and you've got to be careful. But if that was all he ever knew, he needs some basic instructions. And Jesus would have given him some basic instructions. You say, well, let's think about this. Jesus healed a man at the pool. And when he saw him later in the temple, remember what he said? He said, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So I have to believe, I'm concluding this, presuming and concluding that Jesus would have given him some basic instructions without putting the full demand of the Torah upon him. I see that same sentiment early in Acts chapter number 15. There was a reason for the Jerusalem council. The Gentile believers were being ur- urged to go back into idolatry. And when they concluded, real quickly, the, the apostles that met in Acts 15, you know what they said to the Gentile believers, we're not going to put the mandate of the law on you, but we're going to say, keep yourself from idolatry. Don't eat things that are sacrificed to idols. That leads us into my concluding points here in a moment because I want you to be able to say, go, hogs, go. Hello? What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, it'll be clear for you in just a moment of time. I want you to turn with me for one, there's two passages we're going to turn to in closing today. Are y'all out there? Are y'all with me? You came to learn, but just more than learn. Now, I want you to be learned, but I want you to be inspired. I want you to have something in your heart and mind. Something that's caused you to read the text differently. Something that you say, you know what, this is rhema. This is the word of God. This is the anointing of God in my life. So the Jerusalem council has met. And the apostles have sent word by chosen leaders back to the newly converted Gentiles, and, and including Greeks, and has given them just some basic instructions, one of which was to avoid things strangled, avoid things that have blood, avoid fornication, and avoid things that have been offered to idols. We forget the whole area in and around Israel was surrounded and filled with idolatry. It was a common practice to worship a deity a deity other than Yahweh God. You and I struggle to see that in the context, and but we have to because that's what's moving the authors of Scripture as they're writing. And so in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul urges those with knowledge to consider their weaker brothers and sisters. And he also says to put self-imposed limits on your personal freedom of eating and drinking things so as to not create a stumbling block for other families. How many of you believe that? Well, let me say it one more time. How many know that I've got freedom to do some things that I choose not to do because I don't want to be a stumbling block for somebody else? Right? That's a, very part, that's a part of Christian maturity. Now, say, Pastor, you have me over here with the swine and devils and, and, and being driven out, and now you got me in this. Con-. Well, stay there with me for a moment. Remember, swine, to that Grecian culture, were used to worship idols, So when Jesus drove them away, he was taking more than just their local cuisine from them. It wasn't that they were going, oh, my God, there goes the next week's barbecue down in the sea choking. But what it was was there's next week's sacrifice that I was going to bring to the church, to my temple and worship my pagan deity. Jesus was removing it. He was making idolatry more difficult for them. By by allowing them to go into the swine. And I want you to see something in 1 Corinthians for a moment. Because I came along to help somebody today. And I know we're one day after Halloween and things of that nature. And I chose not to preach a Halloween message this past week. But I'm telling you, you better be more guarded today than in every other moment in all of the history of America. Because I'm telling you, there is a darkness on the land and there is witchcraft and occultism that is available at your fingertips and you better be aware of your children. You better be watching on their phone, what they're bringing in their house, what they're listening to and what they're watching. And listen, I know you can say, oh, now you're just one of those old legalistic preachers. If that's what you got to call me at bringing the truth to you, I don't care what you call me, but I'm telling you, I want you to have the anointing to say, go, Ogs, go. Because sometimes it may not be on the seaside that you said. It may have to be in somebody's bedroom. It may have to be in your own house, it may have to be where you look at your own life and say, you know what, it's time for me to get some things and dump them in the sea. Are y'all catching where I'm going with this for a moment? So Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians 10, and we're getting ready to close, but catch of this, we got to see this. In verse number 18, I believe is where we were started right there. He said, Behold Israel after the flesh, so he looks at Israel, so, so are we, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything? No, it's just wood, stone, uh, marble, clay. He said, and that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? No, it's just an animal. He said, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they're sacrificing to what? To devils and not to God. Catch this. And I would not that you should have. I know you don't want to read it, but read it anyhow. And I would not that you should have fellowship with Devils, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord. Come on, now, church family. Are y'all out there today? I'm challenging you. Listen, in our culture today, we've got to have a revelation of spiritual truth to see that God calls us out of darkness. And here, Paul is saying, You can't eat or drink at the table of devils. Read it farther. He said, "You can't uh, the, the things which they sacrifice, sacrifice the devils, and I would not have you fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be a partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I know, he said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are not going to work good in my life. All things are, not, are, are lawful for me, but all things aren't going to edify. Let no man seek his own, but you've got to be careful about uh, somebody else's conscience as well. And in doing so as I'm going to share this in closing, and I'm going to bring you to one final passage of Scripture to close this message off today in Jesus' name. Broadening your understanding of a famous passage of Scripture, tagging it with a passage that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 10 to show you that God is calling our generation. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 7 through 12, they're going to put that on the screen. So I, I read 18 to 24, but back up. Here's what Paul said. He said, don't be an idolater. And then he looked at ancient Israel. He said, look what the people did. They sat down to eat and drink, and then they did what? And they rose up to play in idolatry. And then he said, don't commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day 3,000, and t- three and 20,000. Then he said, don't tempt Christ, as some of them tempted. Look what happens when you give place to the devil. Listen, we are that church that teaches Ephesians 4 and 27. Neither give place to the devil. Because when you give him place... He comes in, and when he comes in, look at that word before servants of destroyed. He's a destroyer. He destroys the lives of men and women. We saw the demoniac. The demoniac's living out in the tombs, living in the tombs, cutting himself, wounding himself. That's what happens when we bring these things in our lives. Let's go a little bit farther. Now, Neither murmur, some of them murmur. Don't be talking about the preacher. Hello? And we're destroyed of the destroyer. Why would you talk about me? I'm trying to help you. Listen, what they're wanting you to buy on the media, they're not trying to help you. I'm coming along to tell you you've got to be guarded. You have to be guarded. These things happen what? Verse 11. They happen for what? What is it? Examples and they're written for our what? Our admonition upon whom the ends of the world come. 12th verse, real quickly. And I'm going to close. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Listen, this thing is not a cunningly devised fable, church family. Those demon spirits are still active today. They are still active today and they're still walking through dry places and they're searching an opportunity to bring destruction to the lives of men and women. And we have many in the church today that want to worship God but don't want to take the next step of separation and isolation from the things that they've given place to the adversary in their life. And the message I wanted you to hear today, it wasn't just that the devils were driven away, but the swine died in the sea as well. And when the swine died, that was that moment of time where that man's accessibility to idolatry was cut off. Why am I saying? I'm telling you. I believe every person needs a deliverance moment in their life. I believe every person has to have a moment in their life. To say, you know what? I ain't watching that stuff anymore. Hello, somebody. Listen, well, there's there's so much filth and, and so much junk in our culture today. And you think it's just a fairy tale? Listen, you you watch, You you set your children in front of those shows, and when they're five and six and seven years old, and you say, oh, it's nothing. Yeah, it's, you're going to see it when they're sixteen and 17 years of age, and you're dealing with a rebellion in the heart and the mind of that child because you gave place to it, because you were not courageous enough to deal with it in the name of Jesus because they're masquerading today using the media as the greatest tool. Idolatry in that generation was the greatest tool, but today it's music, it's movies, it's television shows, and we're filling our hearts and minds with all that junk. And then we wonder why we're powerless to defend ourselves against our adversary. Because we gave place to the devil. But I came along to tell you today, you need to say, go, hogs, go. And it's more than just the devil. You need a purging in your home, heart, and life in Jesus' name. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your home. Give no place to the devil. And you can have victory in every area in Jesus' name. You believe that? I believe that today. And then, as I close this message today... God can use you to help others. Did you know that God can help you? To help somebody else to see that you can't be a partaker of the Lord's table and the tables of devils. Hello? Man, I'm telling you, we need that message in the church today. There's a reason why we have limited anointing in our culture. It's because we have not made the decision to separate ourselves to a degree from a lot of the culture. I'm not saying you can go and run and hide in a monastery somewhere. How many of you can be in the world and not be of the world? You can live right here and still have the anointing of God on your life. Jesus went into a Grecian community, but he was filled with the power of God. They never forgot the day that Jesus showed up. That's the way it ought to be where you work. They never forget the day that you were hired because you're going to be salt and you're going to be light. And you're going to have the anointing of God upon your life. They ought to be able to look at your family lineage and genealogy and to be able to say, you know, there was an alcoholic and there was one impoverished and then there was one that was a, an addict. But when this one got saved, when this one got saved and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a change and there was an entirely different genealogy that came from that day forward because of the Spirit of God upon your life. Let me show in closing today what this man that he sent back. Listen, he, Jesus said, go back, didn't he? He said, don't just take what happened in your life. You go tell somebody else about it. And I want you to know God can use you. God can use you. Remember it said in the 20th verse of Mark's gospel, chapter number 5, all men did marvel. Right? So he goes back and he began to publish where? In Decapolis. In those Gentile cities and in the country. He just began to tell people, hey, remember me? I was that demoniac down in Gadara. No way. No way. You mean you were the brother that was shrieking and naked and cutting yourself? That that was me. That was me. How? How are you in front of me today in your right mind? Because of a man called Jesus, a, a worshiper of the one true God, Yahweh, he came and he spoke a word. He didn't throw any magic water on me, magic oil. He just stood there, shoulder square, spoke to the legion, and instantly my mind came back to me, and I was set free by the glory and the power of God. And my being began to marvel, and look what happened. Now, this is where I'm going to close on. This is where God can use you. Now, this is debated among scholars as to whether or not this is the actual context, what I'm going to use it for, but I'm going to use it because I like it. But there are those that see it exactly as the way I'm going to use it. But even if I didn't, you could find it almost the same in the 7th chapter of Mark. But Mark chapter number 6 Verse number 53, and when they had passed over, they came, so now we're a little bit later. That brother's been going out. There are scholars that tell us the land of Genesariot here in the original language is tying that as the same as Gadara or Gerasim, those two that I mentioned earlier, that it's actually one and the same. Not all believe that, but some do. So look what it says, and when they were come out of the, so let's just suppose it is, so let's just suppose it's the whole area. It's the same. So let me put you in the context today. How many of you know that if you told somebody you were from Gris Ferry, that, you could, that could mean that you are from Grisferry Lake? You're around the Gris Ferry Lake area. That means you're kind of from Clinton or the city of Gris Ferry. It's kind of a context. Remember, it's a, it's a cultural region, correct? Right? And so in that text, and so I, I read numerous passages where numerous scholars looked this word up in the original language, and they really believed it was speaking of the same area. And when they were come out of the ship... Straightway, they knew him. How did they know him? Because he had been there before. And they had a testimony of one that was delivered, and now weeks, months had passed, and now that says they knew him. And this remember what happened the last time he was there? They were afraid, because all of a sudden they were confronted that their God, Zeus, is not as great as God Yahweh. But now they look convincingly at the testimony of the man that was delivered. And they've been waiting for weeks and months for this man called Yeshua to come back across the Sea of Galilee and tell them about this God Yahweh. And now when they hear and they see Jesus this time and saying, go and get out of here. They say, go get me grandma. Grandma's been sick with arthritis for 30 years. Somebody go and get her. Somebody said go and get my daughter. She's broken. She can't stand up. She's paralytic. Somebody said go and get her because here's a man revealing the I feel Jesus this morning church family. And look what happened. And he ran throughout the whole region and they began to carry in beds. Those that were sick. Wherever they heard that he was, and wherever he entered in villages, they laid the sick in the streets, and they besought him that they might just but touch, as it were, the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole by the power of God, all because of the testimony of one man that experienced the power of God in his life. Church family, today, this is real your life can be used by God in a mighty way that can help somebody else see that you know what, there's no God like Jehovah. And Jehovah has chosen to reveal himself in the person of Christ Jesus. And these are not fables, and these are not, this is not mythological tales. This is the historical record of a man named Jesus who came and shone the light into the darkness and now you can be set free by the power of his name. Our worship team has joined us on the platform today. Say, I preached my heart out.